0: Welcome to Real Deep Stuff. We've saved your seat at the table for this conversation. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Deep Stuff. I had the honor and privilege of teaming up with a dear friend of mine, Chad Height, and his podcast, The Rabbit Hole Show, where we co-interviewed the senior superintendent of one of Guyana's largest prisons. This is a man of extraordinary wisdom, kindness, perspective. He has so many great things that everybody needs to hear. And so we were able to sit down with him on location in Guyana. Our set was a hotel, so it's a public space, so you may hear some. Background noise. I've tried my best to take as much of that out as possible. You also may hear a little bit of coughing And if you see right now my I'm a little nasally basically our team that went down there pretty much all of us came back sick So, um, It's it is what it is. So anyway, it didn't affect any of our work All goals were accomplished. Can't wait to talk more about that later. But today this focus is on the amazing wisdom, knowledge, understanding, perspective of our senior superintendent friend. Um, His name is Deoraj Gaidant. So without further ado, let's join this really meaningful and important conversation.
1: All right, we are live here in uh, Georgetown, Guyana. with Diyaraj, uh the warden of the prison we've been at for the last uh, four days, um, here to share his story. As I always say, Christy says, and he was just explaining, we all have a story and we all have struggles. And the good news is we're not alone. And that's how you overcome your struggles and own your story. So we want to sit down and have him share his story and how He got to
0: where he's at. Yes, we are so excited. Thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. We know you're a busy, busy man, and it's an honor and a privilege to have you with us today. So on the behalf of Real Deep Stuff and the Rabbit Hole Show, we are super stoked that you're here. You're getting a twofer out of this. (laughs) Two different podcasts. So at lunch today, that was really great. Can we start by just saying, can you share some of your story about how you came to this position,
2: this particular job? Yes, uh, first of all, I'd like to um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I just want, uh, so basically, I um, never really thought of being in the military. But um, what happened is that I basically looked for an opportunity to better myself, part of my studies, and basically to be a better human being. I was working with my father as, you know, my father is a construction worker. And um, over the years, I've been through a lot of trials, um, you know, and with that, while I was working with him, I, um, one of my friends visited me and I, he explained to me that he is going to apply to the prison for a job. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm there with you and um, i applied i went home my skin was in cement and stuff and i went home and um, when i went home i got something to wear um, and i reported to the prison and about two weeks time i was hired and i started to work at the prison and While working there, honestly, I questioned on many occasions whether um, this is really what I wanted in life, and I I asked literally, questioned God if this is what He wanted for me. There was this deep feeling that I belong here, and this is exactly what God wanted me to do, and hence I am here for the past 15 years. Um, I have joined from the, you know, low rank to where I am today as senior superintendent in charge of one of the largest prisons in Guyana in terms of capacity and population, just over 1,085 inmates. And I must say, definitely, this is where God wants me to be, yes.
0: Thank you.
1: How is it, can you talk about how you got connected with the Puckets and they came, their ministry was in, came into the prison and um, and what we've done this week, how that um, kind of happened and was formed.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, so I met the Celebration of Love Ministry team first at Timiri Prison some time ago. And my original thought was that this is, this is just um, a one-time thing, and it's never, you know, gonna see them again. But then, uh, later on, I uh, was in charge of a larger prison, which houses the male and female prison, which is the only female prison in Guyana. Being there, uh, Pastor Jai, who is part of the ministry, um, reached out to me, and he indicated that um, he wants to um, come and do you know church on a regular basis weekly basis and there's where it started and eventually uh, he indicated there wasn't a proper place to worship so he uh, summed up money and um, with collaboration with the prison we enclosed a building to do worship and that was excellent because the prisoners, you know, now have had somewhere where they can, you know, worship on Sundays and during the course of the week, and it was used um, for as well, um, educational uh, purposes as well, classes for inmates, etc. And later that year, um, summer 2019, 2018, 2019, I think, yes, there about. And uh, that is when I met uh, Mistress and Mr. Pocket um, and the team as well too, um, you know, and I was very touched because um, you, I, I felt that they were really genuine, what they wanted to do, because like I said, you know, a lot of people come to the prison and want to do like a one thing and just go and never come back. But um, you can see their full involvement, their genuine caringness for inmates and the way they spoke to them and um, the way that they uh, wash their feet and and, and, and communicate. It It was exceptional. And from since then, I would say Um, There was a special connection. Whichever prison I go there after, you know, I maintain connection with Pastor Jai and um, Steve sometimes. And, you know, um, I'm always open to the team so that they can uh, come to the prison. And like I said, there is this responsibility to um, us prison officers to give prisoners a sense of hope while I was in prison. And I'll say that helping us in that process is Mr. and Mrs. Bucket as well, you know, and the team.
0: It was neat what you said earlier, that you knew that after the pandemic, the team would be back.
2: Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. I, I, I knew that, you know, they, they would be back because, um, before the pandemic, um, as I said, you know, I saw that genuine care and love that was expressed. This is not a sham. This is not something that, you know, somebody just wanted to do to show uh, persons that, oh, I'm doing something. But this was genuinely from the heart. And um, I was really happy to, you know, be a part of the process. And I look forward to be, you know, a big, play a bigger part as the years go by, basically. Yeah.
1: So, um, what is your religious background growing up? Christian family, or I know down here, uh, Hindu, Muslim, from speaking with a lot of the inmates, um, they grew up Hindu,
2: Muslim, some Christian families. What was your background growing up in your family? Yeah, so my, um, my entire childhood, I was Hindu, right? And at the age of sixteen, I got saved. Um, but even though I was saved, um, I was living under my mother's and father's roof, and I was very scared to bring that news to them. So I used this to um, hide and go to night church instead of day and um, it was it was a bit difficult, but eventually um, as i as I got a bit older, I open up and I said, "This is what I want. Um, I'm a Christian, and I give my life to the Lord, and um, I commit to be a Christian, and I hope you accepted it. Um, my mom wasn't necessarily too pleasing with that. Um, neither my dad, but he was more um, you know acceptable to you know Christianity and stuff and um, that is basically it. Um, I've saved since then, and here I am today. Yeah.
0: So, who brought the gospel into your life at 16?
2: Yes. Well, amazingly. Um, so we, uh, even though we were poor, um, we had a TV, and I can remember um, looking at um, uh, Pastor Benny Hing, um, and so on, and. He would never, he would never um, uh, close his, his, his sermon without giving you that acceptance prayer. And um, there was one time I would flick the channel. I would say, you know, this guy, this can't be real, you know, this can't be real. I, I doubted all along. And I said, at one point, I said, you know, let me just repeat this prayer and see how, you know, what will happen. And, and honestly, when I repeated it, I. I felt something. I felt connected, and from that day, I started to, you know, um, follow, you know, the program and start to get more and more connected. Um, also, I must give credit, even though um, it is not um, necessarily what I believed in, but I must give credit to the Jehovah Witness people, you know, in our in the community that always comes around. And since I was small. Um, they would come to the house and whenever they come to the gate, my mom would say, oh, go, 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 talk to them, talk to them. You know, I would go and they would have me standing there for like 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. explaining to me about God and all these things and telling me about, you know, so many things. And they would share the Watchtower magazine mm-hmm. and the Awake magazine. And for some reason, I find it um, educational, the Awake and I look forward to reading it, but um, they were very smart, I would say, because uh, what happened is that they would have these educational caption, and they would have all the details and then they would correlate it to the scripture. So right there, they brought you in, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I would say it's very smart, you know, to some extent, but um, I, that also played a part. I must be honest, that played a part in me deciding, making that conscious decision, that I am going to convert to Christianity. Yes.
1: With you, um, you know, leaving the Hindu faith at age 16, did your family, um, you know, it took a while for you to come out and tell them. How has that played in your family dynamics? Are they still Hindu? Um, Talk a little bit about that if you don't mind.
2: Yes. Well, I I have a very um, small family. Growing up, um, my dad, my mom, my sister. At the age of seven, I lost a uh, brother, who was 14 years old. He drowned. Um, but um, when I broke, you know, the news to everyone that I'm um, a Christian. Like I said, you know, uh, it took a while for them to accept. Uh, My mom, I tried many times, and I continue to pray for uh, my mom, my dad, and even my sister as well um, for them to be uh, a follower of Christ because I know um, without them being saved, basically, you know, we all know what could happen, right? And the thing is, is that um, I pray for that. But to this day, they're still Hindus, you know, yeah, yes.
0: And speaking of family, how do you handle work-life balance with the type of job that you have? Do you find that you're bringing work like emotionally or mentally home with you? Are you on call? Like, it's a very particular job to to do what you do. So how do you make that work with your real life?
2: Yes. Yes, thank you once again. So, um, my job uh, as, as an officer, a senior officer, um, it is so much responsibility. Um, you're in charge of not only the facilities, but um, the inmates, and also you have overall responsibility of the officers. And um, that's, that's a whole lot, right? Um, Because officers have issues, not only in terms of work-related issues, but they have their personal issues as well. And um, it is your responsibility, while they're welfare persons, to deal with it. Some people feel comfortable to relate to you. And what do you do? You can't turn them away. right? And likewise, while they're welfare officers, to deal with prisoners' welfare, sometimes they feel comfortable to confide in you and to seek your guidance, your assistance and um, you have to ever so often find that time put aside for that. Notwithstanding the fact that you have your own admin work to do as well, right? But put it all together, um, while it's challenging, I always try to put my family first and um, in doing so it becomes challenging sometimes. Um, you know, there there were at times. I'll be very honest that you know, you 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 go home and you know there's some some situation greeting you and you snap, right? And then you realize that hey that's not you, right? Um, but one of the things that has helped me over the years is the ability to introspect and to um, see where I'm going around, if I'm going wrong. And if there is change, I'm never, um, you know, shy of changing or implementing those changes because I know how important it is. Yeah.
1: Um, So going back to work and your relationship with um, inmates and your other staff, how has your faith um, played a part in your work? Um, You're very open about your faith. Um, from what I've seen, um, and the inmates and staff respect you. Um, when I was incarcerated, um, inmates didn't really have respect for the COs. Um and the COs kind of saw us saw us as numbers. They didn't see us as humans. And I don't get that here. I, you know, the inmates here are people. They've just done something wrong and are paying for their you know crime. Um, whereas. Um, back in the States, sometimes you're guilty until proven innocent, yes. which is not you know, how it's supposed to be. So how is your faith, um, you know, at work, because um, the guys respect you and they look up to you. Every time they would walk in, they would say hello. Back in the States, you don't see that at all. Um, so how has your faith um, played a part in inmates and um, their walk religiously?
2: Yes, well, first of all, I must say um, my, my work basically sometimes affect my, um, you know, what I want to do. Um, because, you know, sometimes you're required to work on Sundays. And even though sometimes you're not required to work on Sundays, there's so much to do that, you know, church becomes so difficult. I have to be honest with that. Um, but nonetheless, I stayed true over the years to what I believe in. I understand that while I might not be in church, uh, the church inside of me, you know, and um, I, you know, do daily devotions as much as I can. And I would say that, that uh, as I spoke earlier on about introspection, during those devotions, it would also help me to introspect and to look back, you know, basically. And um, that has given me a sense of understanding what are the needs of um, both inmates and officers, right? I would safely say that I am not just like anybody else, not a perfect Christian. You know, um, the scripture says, you know, we are all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and. Given that, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean I'm because I'm a sinner, therefore I me, mean I can't tell you about Christianity or I can't tell you what is right from wrong, right? So for me I, I always, you know, I never try to impose it on inmates because you know, you have the freedom of religion and I respect that as a professional, as an as a officer. You have to respect that and I will always respect that. But I give you that opportunity to choose, and um, that by itself gives me much pride, right? So my faith and what I believe in plays a great part in the way I manage, right? plays a great part in the way I manage, my style of management, my whole attitude towards work and everything, yeah.
0: That's a great segue into the next question I have for you. The kind of mental health component of the, I I really can't understand the enormous pressure that you're under to keep over a thousand people um, in line and all of that. So in addition to the faith component, what do you do to just kind of keep it all in balance inside you? Cause you have, I have to say you have just this, amazing peacefulness about you and low stress either you hide it really well or you have some secrets to share with the rest of us on how to handle high pressure
2: yes thank you Um, so I'll say again you know um, I'm I'm an introvert to begin with um, you know and uh, being an introvert you tend to keep things more into yourself but um, not to say that there is anything that is hiding here. Um, I, I be myself all the time. Um, I'm a very straightforward person. I, if something is affecting me, i let you know. And um, if I'm happy about something, i let you know. Likewise, um, no hard feeling. But it's, I, I believe if you understand how I feel, we can have a better working relationship. Likewise, if I understand how you feel, For me personally, how I deal with, you know, um, the stresses of work and balanced life and everything. um, For me, I tend to deal with things in the moment. So I would not bring that moment, uh, bad moment or bad situation at work, um, from work, home. And likewise, you know, um, just like every other relationship, every marriage, they are they are ups, there are downs, you know, um, there are issues. And um, there was never a day that I walk into the prison and my face is puffed because of something that my wife said to me, or something that she didn't do, or something that she should have done. And, you know, the list goes on, and no matter what, When I, uh, somehow, by God's grace, He has granted me that, you know, mercy and and, and grace and and wisdom to understand or that ability to to, to say that, um, listen, let what happened home stay at home. When I step out of that vehicle and I step into the prison, I'm dealing with work here. I'm dealing with work here because no one no staff deserve to be treated in a negative way because of what I experienced home. They didn't do anything to me, you understand? And likewise, my wife or my kids didn't do anything to me, not because I had a negative situation at home. And also what I do personally, I tend to um, take time off, not so often, but whenever I can, just to be alone, like I said, and to meditate. I believe uh, meditation really calms your spirit, calms your soul, because um, when you are on the go all the time, your mind and your thoughts are so scattered that you can't gather them. You know, you you tend to like, if I can explain it this way, you you lost yourself. But the moment you, you take the time to sit and gather your thoughts, you know, you become that person that you always be. You always find yourself back there, right? So um, it's important for you know persons to do that um, continuously. Yeah. It's good. It's good.
1: Um, since mental health is a big issue, especially for those being incarcerated, um, you know, on remand, waiting um, for sentencing. Um, what is the mental health like in the facility in the prisons? Um, do y'all have um, psychiatrists or anything to help inmates with depression, anxiety,
2: mental health issues? Yes. Yes. Um, so part of our mandate as the prison service is um, two main primary mandates: is to have safe custody um, and retraining of inmates Um, and the process of reforming um, mental health is a big aspect Um, so we have a few programs while there may be need for more but um, we do have anger management so persons there's a lot of people who are suffering with that you know they have uh, extreme anger and doesn't know or understand how to control it whether in prison or, um, you know, in society. Uh, We have domestic violence, which um, targets the um, issue of domestic violence in the home, you know. And um, that has been a big issue, not only, um, well, in the entire country, basically, uh, because that would have resulted in a lot of deaths as well murders you know husband and wives etc so um, we are targeting those um, social issues in the prison and um, all of the prisons have those programs and it is the intention for us to have more programs implemented because um, if we do not address the uh, mental health needs of those inmates What you find is that sometimes they can go out worse than they came in so uh, we recognize that and there is a lot of work to be done in that regard but we are doing a lot of work as well too yes
0: and speaking of going out and coming in it's no secret that america has some big problems with our prison reform with the revolving door just for curiosity, what do you see in Guyana? Do people come in and you don't see them again? Like what, what's the general or is it just an ongoing cycle?
2: Yes. So um, recidivism is something that, um, that we do have in the system. I think it's approximately 13% of our population. Yes. Um, it's, it's a very small amount. Um, as compared to many countries, but we have um, put systems in place with the hope of eliminating recidivism. Uh, recently, the Minister of Home Affairs, mister Robson Robeson-Ben, he has implemented a program called the Fresh Start Program. So he believes that every person deserves a fresh start. And what he means by that is that if you are incarcerated in prison, you have served a sentence, you have learned a skill, we are gonna equip you with the necessary tools to continue that skill. So we're gonna, if you're a baker, we're gonna to try to see and get you some pans, get you a stove, get you a bottle, and you can continue to bake. Um, if you're a masoner, we get you the tools to continue <coughs> that and the list goes on. Um, if you're a tailor, we get you a machine and so on. If you're a fisherman, we got you nets. So every prisoner deserves a fresh start, right? It's an idea um, that burnt it with the minister. Um, it's an idea that the prison service is now running with. I think it's, we're doing great. Um, it's out there in the media as it relates to what and what we're doing uh, in that regard but it is all in the direction of reducing recidivism. And um, I think we are achieving that objective, not on a large scale, but we are getting there.
0: 13% is amazing. I think you guys should be very proud of that number. That is quite low. It's embarrassing with America. I don't know what we are, but we're a lot higher than that. <laughs> so. so We've had the privilege to talk to a, an array of different types of, of men and women being in the prison ministry here. And you talk to some that are like, you know, they're just so young. They're like 20. And I think, and I tell them, like, you have your whole life ahead of you. And, they're, and this one guy was like smiling. He's like, I know everybody says that. I'm like, well, it is true. You really do have your entire life. So when you talked about giving people a message of hope. What does that look like from the person that maybe is in there because they're just waiting for their court date to come up and you don't really know what's going to happen yet like i guess they've been arrested for something and don't know to the person who's serving life like how do you adjust your message of hope does that make sense
2: yes definitely so um it doesn't matter in my opinion the situation that you are in what matters is that for you to understand your purpose in life. I think that is where a lot of us lost ourselves because we don't understand purpose and by not just not understanding the word purpose, we don't understand our purpose in life of itself. So it begins right there for you to understand that you know you can you have the ability to be a decent human being. You don't have to do this. You know, it may seem because on a lot of occasions when you talk to some inmates, they will tell you, Hey, boss or sir, I've been uh, doing drugs all my life and that is what I continue to do. So the message of hope for me is on that premise that, listen, you don't have to be this way. You can change and things can be better, but you have to first desire it. I often say to them, I said, a man is of his own thoughts, what he thinks he becomes all right so therefore if you have negative thoughts for yourself if you have negative uh, motives that is what will manifest itself but if you believe that listen after this ordeal I'm going to be a renewed person I'm gonna be a person that when I step out into society people would say yes he went to prison What? He's a changed person, I can see it inside of them, inside of him. And a person with life, to be specific, what we'll do is that we'll try to ensure that we counsel that person, talk to them, ensure that they involve in some retraining programs, and especially those that are doing a sentence and they are um, 20 years, um, 25 years old and a lot of them don't have a skill, uh, but let me to go a bit to um, share something with you I learned recently. Um, there was this guy that was talking about, uh, he, he was basically talking about persons are saying citizens of America. is saying that, um, oh, you're taking all the jobs and you're going to China and you're going to other places and you're neglecting the the home population, the U.S. population. But he said, he said this beautifully, he said, he said, where in America can you say that I need a 100 person who is training computer science? And you're gonna get 200 persons knocking at the door, nowhere. But in China, their skill sets are so high on the agenda, their skills training, that you can go and you could have a persons in civil engineering and various fields. You want 20, 30, 40 persons, you get them. It's not a struggle to get them, you understand? Mm-hmm. And I think um, our government is going in that direction as well, to train persons because we recognize that skills training is what is important. Yes, we need banking and accountants and all these technical persons in, in the offices, but we need skills persons. We need welders, you know, we need agriculturists, you know, and so many other persons that, you know, use their hands. So we want those persons who are um, incarcerated and are young persons, especially for life or, or, or uh, longer sentences, that they leave the prison with a skill, whether it's sewing, um, whether it's um, baking, Culinary arts, whatever it is, you know. And we're having um, so many other programs like, you know, barbering. Barbering is something that can pay you quite well, you know, as simple as it is. But some persons uh, were never privileged to hold a machine, much less to use one, you know. So um, that is our approach. And that, that those are the ways or angles in which we, I personally, I should say, um, I give them that message of hope, that there is a brighter future, yes.
1: And that was kind of my message. Um, the three days I spoke since I was sick yesterday and able to go and speak, um, it's your mindset. Because I grew up believing I was a failure, no one loved me, I was worthless. And the more I kept telling myself that, the more my life showed that until you know, I woke up off life support and realized I can't do life by myself. And thankfully, God woke me up and uh, gave me that second chance to do life how life was intended, He intended, and in how I was raised by my parents. But it's huge just how your mind can play tricks on you and you tell yourself over and over and over that you're a failure, no one loves you. And that becomes your reality. So that's huge for the inmates. And then also something I uh, mentioned to them that I mean that 13% is I mean that's I mean, that's a huge number, you know, compared to the states where I don't I don't know the number um, coming back in, but um, I would say the prison system in America is not to reform um, you know inmates. Whereas here, you're actually trying and you're giving them something when they leave to better their life. So it's up to them when they leave, but you're giving them the tool. Um, But something that I was saying, something that I had to do when I woke up off life support and knew I needed to change my ways, you have to cut those people out that were bad influences. You have to quit going around certain places, because the people and places and things that were of the old life will get you right back into prison or selling drugs or whatever it may be. Um, And that's huge, and that was something I was just trying to tell um, the inmates, because you're in here, you don't want to be in here. If you don't want to come back, you need to change your ways, and sometimes that's even family you gotta cut out, you know, you yes. gotta do the hard things.
2: Yes, definitely. I I I share what you're saying and um I, I must say that with my personal life experience and um so on, I would often say to the inmates that, you know, listen, change comes from within. It has to come from within. It has to come from you. Alright? Um, because why I say that is this, is this, is because inmates by themselves, what you found is that um, there is always so much people to blame. Oh, you know, this person never looked out for me, mm-hmm. and um, that's why I turned to drugs, and nobody, I have nowhere to stay, and this is happening, and all these problems, you know, and the thing is, is that ever so often, while Yes, some of the complaints might be genuine. We understand that. Because you know some persons can't accept the fact that their family are so well established and do not look out for them. That of itself shows them in a depression. Right? So um, I say to them, I say, listen, change has to come from you. You have to want change, right? And if you want it and you hunger for change, that is what you will achieve. And I see that on the backdrop of my own situations as well, because for me personally, I use this to pray and ask God that, you know, there must be better days, there must be happier times, you know, and um, I'm happy thus far where God has brought me.
0: On that note of um, change comes from you, within you and your choices and decisions, It is it that some people are hearing the message of purpose for like the first time when they come, like maybe they didn't have it at home. And on that note, do you feel there's community support to be in lockstep with plan, purpose, skill set, that type of thing? Or do you guys feel at the prison that you're kind of on your own trying to clean up things on the back end? Or is community helping you educate on the outside?
2: I think um, that that, uh, the Ministry of um, Human Services might answer that much more better than I do. But I'll make an attempt, I'll say that, you know, um, looking back from, you know, my childhood to date, I can say that there is need for a lot of social intervention at the community level because, you know, there are a lot of people that needed help, you know, and um, never really kind of get the help that they need. While sometimes it might be available, it is not decentralized, it is centralized. So to get it, it's, you know, transportation and other logistics, etc. So um, that by itself compounds the situation for persons to have those social interventions um, into, you know, their social needs. Um, to answer the question directly as it relates to how do I feel, definitely um, I, would, I would not agree with the term that people would say, that, you know, prison has the worst of society. I would not agree with that term because, you know, there are a lot of intelligent people in prison. Um, it's just unfortunate in some instances how or the scenario in which they would have would have caused them to be in prison. While we see that there is a lack in that area, we try to fill the gap. Sometimes it's not enough, but we try to fill the gap. You know, I wouldn't say from the back end, but maybe it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, I have to ask you a question that I'm really, really curious about. Sure. You, you see everything. You yes. see people in there innocent, waiting for their court yes. date to get all the mess straightened out. Yeah. To those who are quite guilty, you've yes. seen everything in between. How does this impact how you father your kids? Are you paranoid to let them leave the house? Like, what? <laughs> that's an overstatement, <laughs> but yeah. How does it impact how you father?
2: I would begin to say that there is no one manual to father a kid, you know, every kid has their specific needs, Um, I've seen thus far three kids and now that I have a small baby, uh, they all are different in their own ways, they are loving in their own ways, you know, and they have their own, you know, issues or whatever, you know, that you have to deal with, Um, emotions I should rather say. Um, yeah. that you have to deal with. Looking and standing in a position where I've seen all in prison, one can be frustrated. One can be frustrated to the fact that, listen, um, you're scared, you don't want to do this, you don't want, and you restrict them and all these sort of things. But for me, I believe that everything in life has a purpose, right? And once you have faith and you believe and you pray about it i believe things will fall into place um there's a lot of things you know you can you 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 can hope for i can hope for my kids not to ever be in whatever the case may be um sometimes and and this is very deep right Um, sometimes if you don't experience something all right it's, it's only that moment you can relate to it because of the experience. Mm-hmm. So for me, with my kids, um, my wife is somewhat very reserved. She don't like, you know, people around our kids and so many other things and so on. But for me, I say uh, not to be carefree, but I want them to have that experience. They must have that experience. We cannot cushion our kids. The more we cushion them, the softer they will be. The softer they be, you understand? The, the, the tougher um, life would be for them as they advance mm-hmm. to teenagers and adulthood. So for me personally, I would allow them to experience certain things, you understand? And um, we just have to have faith that things will go in the right direction. God will look over them. You know, and that is my hope as I, you know, father my kids. Yeah,
0: that is an amazing perspective because eyes wide open in your line of work, I could see where it'd be very easy to feel I want to control, not ad, not in a bad way, but yes. both from a victim or perpetrator position. Yes. Yes. Just. Controlled, but it, you, you're so right. It's not doing them any favors because yes. they have their own story that God's writing with them and I commend you for that. Is there anything that, if someone was listening, because these go worldwide yes. and they're standing at a personal fork in the road of what life choices they're going to make, what would you say to them to encourage them on the better path?
2: Thank you, I would just want to say that, um, you know, life can be tough, alright, and life of itself is, it's a journey, alright, life, I best describe it, it's a challenge, and um, we as human beings, God created us in that way, alright, we may not want to accept it, but that is what um, keeps us going. You know challenges. We look forward for a challenge, we look forward for new opportunities, but opportunities comes with challenges, with learning new things. Um, I often say to someone to explain um, how, how life is, and that is what causes me to embrace challenge. No matter what happens in life, you embrace it, because that is life. And I want to give this little explanation. What causes me to think that way is the fact that In the very embryonic stages, on the conception of life, there was a struggle. Millions of sperm to reach one egg. They never hold hands and reach that egg, but there was a fight to get there, there was a struggle. And every day from that that, that very second of conception, what happened is that as that child is in that womb, there is continuous struggle every day, every minute attack of disease and all sort of things that is happening you understand and that process that whole nine months was a challenge and for you to grow to uh, a small kid it it comes with challenges as well and then from that adolescent to to teenager challenges again and it doesn't stop there you understand, from a teenager, and now you're an adult, and you you face the blunt of life, basically. Um, Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your own community, um, it's, you know, wherever you go, right? Um, The challenges are there. So basically, throughout your life, um, you are being prepped for that. And sometimes we don't seek to recognize that. You know, we don't seem to recognize that. Uh, so once you understand that, and that is, what I, that, that is what I spoke, why I spoke about purpose, understanding purpose. Understanding your purpose in life would make you have an appreciation of where you are today, what you're doing, you know. So for me, I understand that life is about challenges. Tomorrow morning, there is going to be a challenge. Next year, there's going to be a challenge, you know. So every day of your life, there are challenges that you have to pray God, stay focused, and overcome those challenges. Some, you may never get or or be able to overcome them permanently. You know, you you have an amputation, whatever the case may be. It could be really serious. Um, You can't overcome it permanently, but you could live with that, right? You could live with that. And that challenge every day is what wakes you up and keeps you excited, you know, how can I, how can I go up this cliff with one f- foot, you know, and the list goes on. So for me, um, my, my message to anyone or my charge to anyone out there is to appreciate where you are in life. Someone once said, once you have life, you have everything. Because if you die tomorrow, all your dreams, your aspirations, etc., dies right there. But if you have life, if you have life, if you and and you you have life but you don't have no feet whatsoever. You know. Or you don't have a kidney, you only have one, but you have life. You can be the next Bill Gates, you could be Whatever you dream to be, it is possible because you have life. But if you don't have life, everything that is there. So that's my, that's what I want to say. Just be positive
1: in life. Yeah. I always ask my guests and Christy does as well, kind of what advice you have for listeners, but you just, you know, answered that. Um, that's very true. Because um, a lot of people, myself included in the past, got stuck in my head and was like, woe is me, basically, you know, as you were saying earlier, um, this person didn't look out for me, so I resorted to drugs, that's not, you know, you have to look out for yourself at times, you know, you control your life, no one else can control your life for you, um, and until I got that out of my head, you know, life was pretty hard, because I was thinking I was the victim when I was not the victim, I was... You know lying to myself saying I'm not loved no one loves me when in fact everybody loved me I just didn't see it and I didn't feel it because I didn't love myself Right, so therefore since I didn't love myself. How can somebody else love me? No one loves me because I've done this 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 I'm a burden Let me just end my life to make it easier When in fact, that's a load of crap. I wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation I wouldn't have been able to go and speak to your inmates and give them some hope, a message of hope that maybe not all of them received it, but if one person received it and heard it, you know, that's an answer to prayers. Um, So as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you for sitting down and taking um, time, because your time is very valuable. Busy man, um, very busy. Um, So I just want to say thank you for um, your time and being a guest on the rabbit hole show and um, Christy's real deep stuff um, so thank you I
0: echo everything that Chad just said about thank you so much for your time first to be able to go into the prison and what a joy honor and privilege that is I love being there and all the gentlemen there are so respectful and so nice and that is they are following your lead. It's truly an example that you set for them. And the trickle-down theory is true. <laughs> so it is a joy to be in there. Thank you for your time today, your wise words. You, it, It's very evident you are doing what your purpose is and what God has called you to do. I, I don't know anyone who does it better. And we appreciate you, all you do for the community, for the prisons, for our team, we thank you so much you're very very special and may god bless you and your work and your family to continue to make guyana all that it can be for the purpose he has for it thank you anything you'd like to say
2: well i'd just like to say thank you as well um, for having me for recognizing that you know i um, need to be on your podcast so i must say thank you for the opportunity and um, thank you for Having me basically. Thanks. Okay. Yeah,
0: thank you. All right, we'll see you next time. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Yes. Thanks again for listening to Real Deep Stuff. Follow us and subscribe to save your seat at the table for the next conversation. Also, check out our Facebook page to continue the conversation on today's topic.
1: We'll see you there.